Hello, and welcome to a brand new, long overdue, new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and with me is my constant co-host, Brian Hughes. Hello, hello. How's it going? It's going pretty good. It's uh, We have not recorded in quite some time to peel back yeah. the curtain a little bit. Let's not let's not remind them that so much. They they might think it's going to become a, a constant habit. I don't want it to be a constant habit. <laughs> but well, we got I, other th- we got we got some ideas. We got some things in the work. We got yeah, things. Yeah, you know, we're 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 trying. To, you know, we're trying yeah. to to get stuff out to them. It was really interesting when I I recently had the pleasure of meeting uh, Andy Leyland, which was when I was in Orlando, which was just a fluke that he was there. That was a treat. And that was great. That I know, and uh, I uh, I brought him. I told you to put me in your luggage. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. Japan, I would be there. Orlando, uh, I would be there. But uh, no. Uh, he, uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll bring him something because I brought Scott some some comics. So I had an extra copy of Spider Man and the Dallas Cowboy Chillers. You know those Sanger Harris books they used to yeah, get by. I've got them, yeah. Yeah, so I brought that. I said, well, I gave him a little, bring him something from Texas. So I uh, gave that to him. Uh, and we kind of hung out. And- wait, wait, wait. That's that's not the book where Peter Parker tells the kid about the story about the guy that wanted to touch him? I don't think, I honestly hadn't read the book. I, I okay. kind of thumbed through it, but I, I hope that's not it. Yeah, because there's, there's one of those that, 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 that went out that was, you know, you know, say no to touching or, or, or you know, all that kind of stuff. No, and this was... Just- him and Mary Jane are shopping at Sanger Harris, and the Dallas Cowboy <laughs> Cheaters are there. And for some reason, it's the, I think it's the, the the is it the Circus of Crime? I can't remember. Like I said, I haven't read the. I just remember it was kind of last minute. I remember having it, and I grabbed it and, and to take down there with me. Oh, cool. And okay, we get to hang out with him and his wife and his lovely daughter during Disney World because they had they met us up there. So we spent kind of the evening with him, and he's just just. Just a delight. Just everybody as charming as he is on the show. And when we kind of day had gone on and we were waiting for the fireworks uh, at the castle. So everybody kind of everybody at the park kind of sits on the floor and every and we were waiting about half an hour and he wanted a soda. And I said, well, let's go get a soda. So we'll, we wandered off to um, Tomorrowland to find a, some place we could buy buy drinks. And we bought drinks and I I bought him. I said, here, I'll buy your soda for you. So I bought him and his, I gave him his wife's soda. And we're walking back and he said, he said, this is so weird. He said, I never met you before, but I feel like I know you. And he said, well, I've heard you. And I said, I said, oh, you listen to the show? He goes, yeah. I said, well, there's one. The fact that Andy Layton listens to the show, that's that's high praise for us, I think. It, um, uh, and I think he mentioned it later in in on a Facebook post that, when you meet these guys, and that is what's so weird, you meet them and you feel like you know them. It's Mainly, like picking up in the middle of a conversation. Exactly. And a lot of it is because you've heard them for so long and you think, oh, I know you because I've listened to you for years. But even when it's not just that, you you do, you do feel uh, a kind of a camaraderie, a kind of a – it's an easiness. A kinship. A kinship. Yeah. It's very easy. Yeah. And you just kind of fall into uh, – you know, being being kind of you know you know I guess you could say friends. I mean, and that's what he said. It felt you know he, that was the the highest compliment he could pay me that he felt that that he kind of knew me already just from you know kind of listening to me. So that was uh, that was the highlight of uh, I think the highlight of my uh, 
Okay, and you're, make, yeah. you're making me misty here now. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah. You've got to, if you ever get a chance, you've got to somehow, because you would, I go to these things, I meet these guys, and I think Brian would absolutely love this. He would get along with yeah. these guys so well, and he would just talk their ears off, and he would love being around these guys. So we got we got to make that happen somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm actually going to get to see Scott Gardner here. That, at the that'll next be great. Yeah. Yes, you start, so, the, start at the top. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My company's sending me out to Orlando conference, so I'll get to see him. Uh, you know, I got to, I got to, uh, touch base with Dr. Bill. I know he's a little, little di- distance away, but maybe we'll get to, to, to see each other. But anyway, that's, I mean, that's, I'm so glad that you, you were able to get out there and do that again. Now you've done the angle thing where you guys have all met up the last three years, haven't you? Uh, the last, cause uh, last year you had the, the one thing out by Dario Gonzalez. Right. Well, that's right? like two years. We did the first year we did, um, uh, whatever the con is up there at Long Island. It's, um, right. I can't remember the name. But anyway, that's our first time we met. And then we decided to do it again. The con was, had been moved. So we just got together anyway. Right. And, and more people met. And then, um, then I've met Scott twice in Orlando, of course, twice there, but this time I got to meet Shag. He was there, which is cool. Cause he lives in the, I think the Florida area and John Wilson showed up the guy from new guy. He was, he's, he lives. Jonathan Kreitz is a name I can't seem to recall. I met him when I was in Orlando. Uh, he was there also for Star Wars celebration and, um, we didn't get to spend much time together, but he seemed like a very nice guy. Um, anyway, I, I apologize oh, Aaron, for that. Was it Aaron Henley? No, no, no. It was because he's the young upstart, you know. Was he the one from uh, that was? We met a young fan in Long Island. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. we, yeah. Well, first time we were there, he he, he kind of recognized somebody's voice, and he said, "Hey, I listened to your show." We were like, and we were like, "Wow, this is cool." I think he recognized Chris's voice. Yeah, well, you can't miss Chris's voice. Yeah. Or or Paul's voice if you hear you know if you hear oh yeah Paul's yeah voice. Paul's very very distinctive. I I think you and I are probably the most uh, nondescript voices out there. Unless of course we start going into imitation. Yeah, we're we're we don't have a we don't have a distinct voice. Like we don't think we have traditional what people would think of as being Texas accents. So no, no. But you know the thing is, there's other people that have very distinct things. Like Gene Hendricks has the most distinct laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and of course Scott Rifen, of course, has the voice for radio. Shag Matthews has. You know, not just the voice, but he's got the face for radio. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm just kidding. There, you Shag. said that, not me. <laughs> no, I sent that to him in, a, in an email too. So he he knows where I stand. <laughs> but uh, hey, uh, you know, when you were sitting there doing that, I actually got to go to uh, the convention ad here, the Dallas Fan Expo. Yeah. What? Uh, how was that? That was. It was uh, probably one of the worst run conventions I've been to in, in the last 25 years. Oh, nice high praise. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is the, the the talent that we got to talk to, that we got to talk to, was good. Uh, they were all great, very gracious, very kind. They were giving of their time. Um, Kari Payton, who plays King Ezekiel on The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I got to give high praise for him. Not only was he so cool and very wonderful to my wife and also to my boy Christopher because not only does, does he play King Ezekiel on The Walking Dead, he's the voice of Cyborg. On Teen Titans Go. Oh. And so as soon as he sees my son, he goes, do you watch Teen Titans? Because I go, boo, yeah. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, he's cyborg. I didn't even, I didn't even, I, I think I knew that from somewhere, but I'd forgotten completely about it. 
So he was really cool and very engaging, and he actually let me record him as uh, he did a, 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 pro- a promo for us. Nice. And so if, if you listen to the Fear the Walking Dead cast, you'll hear Kari Payton uh, praising Two True Freaks and telling everybody to listen to us. And I also got uh, Kerry Gamble, who you know I've, I've you know seen Kerry Gamble multiple times over the years, and he was kind enough to record for us. And um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Gail Simone. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know you got somebody associated with Byrne. Yeah, because she had done the Action Comics run with him uh, back in the day, uh, and I, I really enjoyed those those issues and what what she did because she brought in Dark Side, she brought in uh, uh, not Shazam, but uh, Black Adam. Oh, okay. The Rock. And and then somehow she got um, – what's the actor's name that plays the imp on uh, on Game of Thrones? Because she had oh, a character uh, just like – looked just like him in action Peter, comics. Peter, Peter Dinklage? Yeah, Peter Dinklage. So if you read that run on action that uh, that she did I, – I, I can't even remember the issue numbers. It's like 890 or something like that, but that's – yeah, neither here nor there. Um, but you know, the thing was is that you know they're, they're they're we wanted to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan and um, Norman Reedus who plays Daryl on The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Dean Morgan of course plays Negan, but he was also you know the the comedian and Watchmen, and I'd seen him in a lot of other stuff over the years, and you know of course he's on Supernatural. He's the father of Sam and Dean. In fact, they did some in jokes on supernatural where they actually showed uh, Dean walking around with Negan's bat <laughs> and saying it was his dad. Isn't he so, also uh, the, uh, the, the head of the losers that movie, the uh, losers. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Was that him or is that Chris, Chris Evans or Chris, Evans was, Chris Evans was in it, but I thought yeah, Morgan okay. was the leader. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. That's the first place. I think I saw him. Oh, I, th- I saw him. In this movie called Live with um, Ryan Gosling's wife, what's her name? Ava Mendez, where it's basically, you know, um, they were they were making a game show, but they had a reality crew filming the production of this game show. And the idea behind the game show was you had six people. And if uh, what, what it would be is that they would do workups on bio, biographical workups on each of the people. And. At the end of the episode, each of them be handed the gun. You know, there's one bullet in the gun. They'd spin it and take the shot. Or they wouldn't spin it. They'd just take the shot. So they knew that the bullet was going to get somebody. But everybody else that survived got a million dollars. This is a real game show or is this a no, movie, it was a, a movie no, about no, a game show? There's oh. definitely no real game show like that. <laughs> if there was, it would be the highest rated show on TV. I am, you know, they get, they're getting closer and closer all the time. Yeah, but uh, it was it was a movie about the making of the game show that never you know didn't oh, okay. Lose. okay, I get you. And so Jeffrey Dean Morgan was one of the contestants on there. Um, but I think my wife saw him before that. Well, I, I got to say I saw him before that too, watching uh, old episodes of Grey's Anatomy because I think that's where he he started, started off at. There. Yeah. Did they have the autograph session kind of all clustered there together so it's all the lines kind of blend together? Yeah, the lines are blending together. And the thing was is that because we had bad storms coming in that night and both Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Norman Reedus were supposed to be on the Talking Dead show after the season finale, 
Mm-hmm. They had to get them out. They had to get them out Saturday night. So they had to get them out during the day Saturday. So um, all these people had gone, had hundreds of dollars ready to take pictures, get autographs and all that. And the only the very first few groups actually got in there. We got tickets for it and then we're told later, sorry, Charlie. You know. But Beth, uh, she was, you know, she uh brought her uh her mother's electric scooter because she was her legs were not doing too mm-hmm. well for her at that point. Uh, she'd had a procedure done, and so she sat there. You know, they said, "Well, while while you're waiting for your uh, place in line, you can just sit right here." And so she was ten feet away from Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So she got to Dude, see him without she got seeing to, him. She took his picture. She got to see him. She took his picture. She only saw Norman Reedus as he was walking away. I never saw him. But uh, we did see Kari Payton. I also saw uh, and got pictures of Robin Lord Taylor. Nice. Who plays uh, the the penguin on Gotham. And um, I got to see Meatloaf. <laughs> and he's not he's not looking good. I, I got a picture of him. He's not looking good. Is he starting to look like Meatloaf? No, actually, <laughs> he's looking like cat food. Well, he's got to be pushing, what, 60 or so? No, he's got to be older than that. He's got to be probably 73, 75. See, now I got to look. Because, uh, yeah, he was not He was not looking good. He looked like he was kind of sick. And, you know, Tim Curry was there also. And, uh, you know, he'd had a stroke several years back. Hmm, uh, but my, my friend Steve Wellborn, um, he turns uh, 70 this September. He okay. love does. Um, it's funny because he's from Dallas. But this, is first time I, yeah, but this is the first time I'd ever seen him. But uh, my friend Steve Wellborn got in there and um, he paid for the Tim Curry experience. And so he asked Tim Curry, hey, can I do this when they're taking our picture? And Tim Curry's like, why not? You know. <laughs> so I've got a picture of my friend Steve kissing Tim Curry. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, yeah, okay, well. Those, are, those guys go. are pretty good about uh, – I almost – I almost went, but it would have it would have been the day after. I mean, we came, we flew in Friday yeah. and we got the next day, only because supposedly it's Stan Lee's last uh, appearance, yeah, and, and I, I was I, I thought about getting a, a t- picture with him. Well, I I completely missed Stan. Um, we did go see Adam West and Burt Ward, and because it's their last show, also. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, we also saw James Marsters, uh, Marster, yeah, uh, Spike from Buffy the Vampire okay. Slayer. And uh, he's also Brainiac on Smallville. And so we got to see him talk and and that. We didn't get to do a whole lot, though, because we were too much trying to, you know, get the signatures and stuff. And really all we really got was, you know, Kari Payton. That's that's Um, like uh, if you go to the big cons, you're spending all your time in line. Right. It was just poorly organized. And the, the thing was is that if you wanted to get across the floor, the dealer's room, it would take you half an hour to navigate through the people. It was so crowded. It's it's pretty crazy. And, right? and yeah, it, it was it was really really nuts. And all the other stuff, that, uh, you know, Gail Simone and, and uh, I got Art Adams uh, some Art Adams artwork and got him to sign it. Nice. Uh, yeah, I you know I got that the sec on Sunday. I took Christopher back Sunday. Um, so we could, you know, get in on a couple of the the last panels, like to see the Adam West, mm-hmm. and uh, Beth was done, so she stayed home on uh, on Sunday. But did she you, uh, you know. did you pick but, up any uh, choice books? I thought that you posted some, some I, nice well, finds. I, yeah, I picked up uh, Burns' first X Men one hundred and eight, and 
I think I picked up uh, one of the Proteus issues. I got a couple of those. And then I picked up that Action Comics with uh, Darkseid on the cover because it was a Gail Simone one. So I got her autograph. Nice. On on the Burn book. And, um, you know, that's, that, that was pretty much that. It was, it, like I said, you know, there was a lot of really good things. Great costumes out there. Some of the best I'd ever seen. Uh, a lot of stuff I recognized, a lot of stuff I didn't, but I posted a lot of that out on Facebook. I, I, I probably need to dig through and see if there's any others I want to put out there, some videos and stuff. So no, that's and the then, fun of it, just getting costumes, just walk around and kind of people watching. Yeah. And then Christopher, he found, uh, some foam rubber Wolverine claws. <sighs> yeah. I saw those and pictures. They're, Cute. Yeah. They were 10, 10 bucks a piece and they, those worked really, really good. So he was happy with that. So that, that's good. All right, uh, you want to get into the the book? Yeah, yeah. What are we? Uh, we are. Well, maybe you want to tell us what we're covering and why you wisely chose to cover this particular book? <laughs> yeah, exactly why I chose to cover this book. We're covering Fantastic Four number two thirty five, the Fantastic Four battle of the living planet Ego, and uh, of course the reason why I picked this is because uh, upcoming this weekend. And hopefully we can get this issue out by then, this episode out by then. Uh, Kurt Russell, and this shouldn't be a spoiler because they've already announced it in the commercials, yeah. is is going to be in the movie as uh, you know revealed as the father of Star Lord, and he happens to be Ego, the Living Planet. And I know a lot of you that if you've read this issue, you're going, "Huh? <laughs> what? How does that work?" But you know, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into the book or after after we've uh, gone through the synopsis and everything. And I have to apologize. I did not write my normal synopsis here. I went ahead and pulled it from the Marvel Wiki because I thought it was really good. And, it, you know, we we're kind of pressed for time. No, it's OK. No, nobody but, says you have to write it. I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm going this sans notes. So this is just a crazy episode. Well, yeah. And there's a lot about it. That, you know, it's like I'm sitting there after, you know, when when. I first read this story. I first read it, you know, uh, back in 87. And uh, I thought it was really cool for what it was, but I really had no history with Ego. So I didn't know any history of Ego. And I kind of made it my mission to at least get some of that down here before we got into this book uh, this time around. And so it's really, really interesting, a a lot of things. And there's uh, some cool things to point out uh, and some things that definitely show the limitations of the technology of the day. Mm Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that as we go into the book. All right. So our uh, I pulled this information from Mike's Amazing World. The comic title is Fantastic Four, Volume 1, number 235, published by Marvel Comics. It's got a cover date of October 1981 and an on-sale date of July 21st, 1981. Cover price was 50 cents. Page count 32, though there's 21 pages of actual story. The rest is art. The writer-artist of the story is John L. Byrne. Letterer is Gene Simek. And the colorist is Bob Sharon. Editor, Jim Salakrup. Editor-in-chief, of course, is Jim Shooter. Now, this issue was also re- uh, reprinted in Marvel Superheroes Magazine number 4 back in 1995. Is that the British reprints? Because I know they did a lot of Marvel Superheroes books. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. That were, that were reprints, but this is like a, a magazine. And then, of course, the Fantastic Four Visionaries Volume 1 trade paper back in 2002. Now, I'm pretty sure it, – has it already been done in an omnibus? This has – I don't know. There is a, there is a John Byrne FF omnibus. So I'm yeah. assuming this would be in it. 
Yeah, because it's one of the very early, early stories of his run. Yeah. In fact, this is the first uh, of his intimate running. I mean, that it, this is where he was writer and artist. Uh, you know, basically doing doing everything because he was doing it. You know, he was writing it. He was doing the penciling and the inking, and um, you know, because he, he had worked on Fantastic Four for uh, a number of years off and on before he started issue two thirty two. Yeah, but he did it under the old style, more of the kind of the Marvel House style. So Reed Richards was real muscular and. And, and everything and, and even Johnny was muscular and, and the thing was done with very different kind of uh, of look to him. And then mm-hmm. when Byrne took over, now of course he, he did some things with Thing throughout the course of the book, but he got Thing's look to be a, a bit more rocky and a bit more signature than just a rock man. Well, I think even Byrne started, if you look at even this issue, he started with all of them being a little more fit, yeah. you know, muscled. But then as he progressed and he kind of, and you can kind of see the beginning of his kind of his style for the FF as it moves along. Reed right. becomes very uh, lanky and thin right. with the way, he's he's, the way he would be. Right. The way he yeah. would be. Yeah. And you even see like this fold in this costume, like, you know, it's spandex and it's not staying skin tight, you know, and, and Johnny of course gets thinner, uh, you know, it is thinner and definitely less muscled. Um, but yeah, so, but okay, well, let's go ahead, I guess, and, uh, jump into the story and I will give you the synopsis that I pulled from the Marvel wiki. All right. So <clears throat> with the device strapped to his back, the thing travels deeper and deeper into the organic tunnels that run inside the form of ego, the living planet, the heat and internal pressure is intense, sapping Ben of his strength and endurance, pausing for a moment to rest. Ben begins to think back to the moment that led to this point. It all started when New York City was rocked by a devastating earthquake. Rushing back to the Baxter building, Ben learned that the source of the quake originated from outer space. The potential threat to the Earth? Reed prepares a ship and the Fantastic Four travel out into space to intercept the menace heading their way. Soon they reach their destination and are shocked to discover that their attacker is Ego a massive living planet who is seeking revenge against those who are responsible for his last defeat and had tracked them on a course heading to Earth. Ego then unleashes a force blast on the FF ship, causing the craft craft to crash land on Ego's surface. The Fantastic Four survive thanks to Johnny getting out and using his flame powers to burn a clear path so they can land safely. Exploring the strange world of Ego, Reed quickly spots a massive propulsion unit stuck on the planet's surface, which is acting as the means Ego used to get to Earth. Seeking to stop his advance, Reed and the rest of the team load up on sky cycles and go investigate the massive engine. Detecting what the heroes are up to, Ego's face appears on the side of a mountain and blows them off their jet cycles. When the Fantastic Four safely land on the ground, they're attacked by an army of Ego's antibodies. The four heroes manage to fight past them and reach the propulsion unit where Johnny erects a flame barrier to keep the antibodies at bay. He's horrified when the seemingly endless armies of antibodies begin throwing themselves into the flames, appearing to commit suicide to stop them. Reed tells him to hang tight as he is formulating a plan to solve the current crisis. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Johnny's girlfriend, Frankie Ray, has just finished taking a shower. Wow. When she realizes that there are no towels in the bathroom, she's forced to go out in her apartment to find one. 
As she worries over her roommate coming home and catching her in the nude and thinking about what Johnny might be up to, Frankie catches a glimpse of herself in the mirror and is horrified to what she sees there. While back on Ego's planet, Ben's recollection continues. Back on Ego's surface, Reed has instructed Ben on how to remove one of the mini-packs that powers one of the jets of the propulsion unit. Reed tells the rest of the team how he intends to use it to destroy Ego's brain, hopefully rendering him harmless. Suddenly, Ego forms a new massive body towering over them and begins attacking again. The Fantastic Four manage to flee their attacker though one of the por- through one of the pores on Ego's surface. They follow the complex tunnel until what they come across until they come across what they think is Ego's brain. Brain and brain, what is brain? However, after close examination, Reed concludes it is a fake constructed by Ego to trick them and orders Johnny to destroy it with his flame. Ego protests, but the Fantastic Four continue on their path to the real brain of Ego. But the deeper they go into the living planet, the hotter it gets, and the more the pressure increases. Reed is the first one to give in to the environment, forcing him to stay behind. However, soon Sue and later Johnny are unable to go any further, leaving Ben to continue on the trek alone. Finishing his recollection, Ben gets to his feet and presses on. Eventually, he finds and reaches the true brain of Ego, the living planet. Suddenly, his mind is flooded with images being pushed into his mind by Ego. He witnesses the birth of Ego during the Big Bang that created the universe, his conflicts with Galactus, and how he once allowed Thor to have a group called the Wanderers settle on the surface, only to consume them after the Thunder God was gone. Lastly, Ego shows the thing how his last encounter with Thor and Galactus ended with the propulsion unit being attached to his planetary mass and sent him hurtling into space. Realizing that Ego was coming to Earth because it was the last place had been, the thing then tosses the mini-pack at Ego's brain, but misses. Despite this, Ego angrily relaxed, trying to activate the propulsion unit to send him on a collision course with the planet Earth. However, because only one of the engines on the propulsion unit is active, Ego instead veers directly into the sun. The resulting heat and gravitational pull of the sun tears Ego apart, sending Ben hurtling into space. However, the thing is rescued from the vacuum of space by his teammates, who arrive in their ship to pull him to safety. With Ego seemingly destroyed and his threat to Earth now gone, the Fantastic Four rejoice before heading back home. Okay, so that's the end of the story there, but there's a lot more to this one than I ever knew. Uh, You know, going into this before that, if you get a chance to look at the Thor issues, there's many of them that surround Ego, the living planet. And Galactus plays a part in it as well. I haven't, I haven't, I, I kind of wanted to have time, but I, it made me, I was intrigued enough to want to go and find the, uh, the Thor's, you know, issues and, and kind of read them. Cause like you, my, my only knowledge of Ego was that I knew he was a, a construct of Kirby. And if you look at him, he just, you know, it's kind of screams Kirby. Um, mm-hmm. And but the the thing is, it's it's really weird because in the first Kirby book where you see him, I think it's one sixteen Thor one sixteen. He uh, the the face of, of Ego the first time you see it is a plain face, not this hairy, almost looking like the god creature from Star Trek Five that we see in mm-hmm. this book. And I'm wondering if this is where they got the idea for God <laughs> in Star Trek Five because <laughs> it sure does look like what does God need with a starship? <laughs> Apparently now we know. <laughs> does god need with a starship well i wonder if kurt russell was cast on his beard alone because kurt russell <laughs> has a magnificent beard 
Well, you know, so I, I went ahead and did some more research and looked back at the Thor issues. I didn't read them thoroughly, but I was looking through them. And I found that Ego would manifest himself from time to time in a humanoid form. And it looked like he's in some sort of golden armor. Hmm. But I also found that uh, – and that was the not the first issue issues, with, which were done by Stan and Jack Kirby and Vinnie Coletta. But in the later issues, that was uh, Jerry Conway, John Basima, and Mike Esposito, and then um, later on issues with uh, Rich Buckler. Yeah. And um, they, you know, Rich Buckler had shown Thor and Hercules and Fire coming across the brain of Ego. And it was actually the fake one that we see in this story. Interesting. So that's and not, that's not so, something Kirby, uh, Byrne came up with on his own. Well, actually, Byrne rewrote it. Not, he, I didn't rewrote it, but basically it was, it, he, he's the one that made the one they came across, the fake one. Oh, okay. They didn't see the real brain. They saw the fake one. Oh, okay. They saw what you wanted them to see based on what Byrne said, but that's not how they'd written it back then. So there's uh, there was a little bristling, you know, in the background about Byrne making that change. Yeah, so there was, you know, things that, that, that were done in the earlier books that gave Ego, it gave you a lot of latitude where Ego is concerned. But I never found his look in all the books to be consistent, but – what Byrne came up with at the end looks a lot like what Rich Buckler or um, John Basima had done with him more than it did look like the Kirby, Kirby. stuff in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny, though, because like the last shot that you get of Ego uh, on the Rich Buckler work is almost looks like Calabac from the you know Jack Kirby's New God's Day. Yeah. Interesting. You know? Interesting. Uh, yeah. It was very, very interesting. But, you know, I had a couple questions about – this issue, you know, I, I was still confused by what had gone on in the issue before. But the thing you, you have to remember, though, is that I got I got to keep reminding myself is that this is very on in, in Burns writing career. And he took the Fantastic Four into a cosmic place. And, you know, on his own in, in his writing, we hadn't seen this yet. So this is his first stab at it, and I think he he kind of fudged a few things, but we'll 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 discuss those as we go through the book. Well, I, th- I, th- I think I think he probably hasn't he has not made so many changes that were that were not reasonable. I mean, I think when yeah, it hadn't been ego hadn't been established so strongly that that he was uh, he's really you know changing continuity because you know it's uh it isn't later because at least in this story. Ego's own memory is that he evolved naturally from the Big Bang, and you know he collects that. Right. Later, it's retcon that he's was created by the Stranger as part of a, yeah. an experiment. So, I mean, to me, this feels a lot like Burns' love for the Kirby Lee run, kind of coming through, and he's kind of he's kind of uh, paying homage to that he's bringing back this creature that that uh, Kirby created. Well, and he's kind of playing with it as he's starting. Like you said, he's starting out his run on the FF. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny because like in the first encounter with uh, – they let the Wanderers live on Ego. In, yeah, in the first encounter, you know, they let him live on Ego. And then we come to find out in this issue here that Ego consumed the Wanderers. Mm-hmm. And that was why they never showed up in the later appearances in Thor 201 and 206 and 226. But that was never revealed anywhere else. Jerry Conway never addressed that at all. Yeah. They just you know, did all that. So, so Burns filling in the blanks 
and you know showing you a little bit more but he never showed ego you know taking on the human form like we saw in the earlier issues i, I was just saying how burn you know put his own twist on that right 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 and i think right. i think you know every artist is going to do that burn's going to you know he's going to kind of do that throughout uh, his run on the ff but we all know his reverence for for lee and kirby that it seemed because this to me i I don't remember when I read this. I might have read it when I was collecting these back issues. So it was probably close to around the time you read it. And it, I don't, I, I didn't really remember it until I reread it for this show. Yeah. It was kind of, I don't want to say for, forgettable, but it was, it's kind of a bridge between the ending of the previous issue and them going into the, like the anniversary issue that's the next one to the point where, I mean, Ego doesn't show up anymore. Uh, at least I don't think he does. Not in his run. At least not in Burns' run. So it wasn't. It didn't really stick with me. It, it felt a little, little bit of Burn playing in Kirby's sandbox and some of his, what I, what I want to say, Burns kind of exploring science fiction kind of sci-fi type um, ideas. He likes to sometimes in some of his stories he wants to like he's read about something or he's had an idea of, of uh, you know, he likes to do a little more hard sci-fi and that's what a little bit of this is. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's an okay story. It's not. Um, well, I, I went on his website, of course, burn robotics. And I, I was looking around to see what he had to say about ego. And someone had asked him several questions, you know, how powerful is ego, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And bird said he's powerful, but he's not, galactus level mm-hmm. and then they were asking about you know about the wanderers and about the brain and all that and he said truth to tell i wanted to fix that thor story when i read it as a fan i was so disappointed with buckler's uninspired rendering of ego's brain and that's why he did this the whole fake brain thing hmm. so that kind of and, that kind of spawned this whole party story that he did right and then there was a third point about well you know what about uh, you know, someone come, you know, bringing, you know, ego back to life. And you know, was that worth mentioning? He's like, that wasn't worth mentioning at all. By the time, and he's saying that he had done this issue, fans were way past believing deaths. Oh, yeah. And of course, somebody, and he's not sure if it was Bill Mantle or somebody else, put ego back together almost immediately and made Reed Richards an idiot in the process. And I, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I I have my own questions about what Reed did in this particular one. So I was just like, whoa, crazy. You know, I forgot to go over what other books were done during that month. But really, um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, that was October of 81. And he didn't do anything, really. He had uh, one page of artwork in Epic Illustrated number eight. And he did the, – they had a reprint of Avengers 183 – in the British Marvel Superheroes magazine, number 378. Well, he probably had his hands full. I mean, he's just launched the new FF, or not launched it, but he just started, and he might have had to you know, get a couple issues under his belt to kind of get him in the get Well, the yeah, because he, he'd finished his X-Men run in March, and he'd also finished his Captain America run the same month. And then um, he did a what-if story where Captain America was – well, no. Did he really do anything on that where Captain America was elected president? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But, no, oh, they must have reprinted some of his work for the beginning of it. Uh, well, I'm sure when he was, you know, when he was given the reins to FF, 
it was given, you know, far yeah. enough back that he could, one, kind of plan out what he wants to do, write his stories, outlines, and, and maybe even have a couple uh, issues penciled so that he can kind of right. get ahead of the game when it starts publishing them. Right, right. And it wasn't until July that uh, Back to the Basics came out to issue 232. So, uh, yeah. And then from there, he was just doing like one issue a month. August, he just did issue 233. September, he did 234. And uh, they had printed the the Ringer story in Spectacular Spider-Man, but that was an inventory story, if I remember right. You know what I'm talking about? I know, yeah, I know which one you're talking about, but I don't know if it was an inventory story or not. Because I don't, I don't know if been. he did that at the same time or not. And then, you know, October, of course, he did he did uh, Ego. And, um, okay, well, well But, of course, he's doing he's, – he's writing, penciling, and, and inking. Yeah. You know, he's coming off X-Men. He was certainly penciling and co-plotting, maybe mostly writing – but his inking was being taken care of by Terry Austin, so now he's suddenly having right, to but do. He was, but he was also working Marvel Team Up or Marvel Two and One, which later became the thing. Yeah, and so he, he was keeping busy at least on two books at a time for most of most part. But yeah, when he started Fantastic Four, he'd let other stuff go go off, and he just worked on Fantastic Four. So I, he took his time to get all of his ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm sure this was a, like a passion project. This was something he was probably deeply uh, involved in because, like you said, of you know his his love for Kirby. That this is something he wanted to do in yeah. his mind right when he's doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, do you want to take a look at the book itself? Yeah. All right. Now, looking at the cover, which is there's an interesting effect on there on the top of it uh, under the Fantastic Four logo, the blue with the black lines in it. And we'll see more of that later. And I want to point out something in that. But this cover uh, is John Byrne and Terry Austin. Hmm. And I don't know. Did did Terry Austin ink a lot of the covers I, in that early run? That's a, that's a good question. I that I can't answer that. I don't know if. Um... So I have to go back and look at that. But you know that this cover actually, when I was sitting here looking at this as I was getting all my stuff together, it has all of a sudden ruined me for vision-based powers <laughs> because here you see ego is blasting them with something out of the eye holes and i call them eye holes because he doesn't really have eyes, eyes some smoldering thing you know but he's shooting a beam out of that and then i, I realize that you know if anybody actually had powers where they could shoot beams from their eyes Whenever we've seen it in a comic book depicted, it always comes out straight like this, like what you see coming out of Ego's eyes, right? Mm -hmm. But you know that as they sit there focus on one thing or another, the eyes are going to converge. And it's going to look more like a, a V or a Y as it goes down to it. Whereas here it looks like he's, you know, farsighted. <laughs> well, he is a he has a living planet. He can, you know, he can manipulate so his now, eyes. Every one of our listeners now is, of course, going to be sitting there thinking about that next time they see Superman using his heat vision or Cyclops without his, his uh, goggles on or, or whatever. Well, I want to bring up something because since you brought up, since you brought up uh, eye powers, eye beams, I'm going to go yeah. on a little tangent here. This is a problem I always have with Cyclops. So Cyclops wears his visor of ruby quartz or his sunglasses, mm -hmm. whatever he wears, that basically neutralize or block his beams. So right. – 
wouldn't it be safe to say that while he is awake, his eyes are open, he's constantly blasting his eye beams are just being blocked by his visor. Don't you think that that would diminish his either power level or capacity so that when he does use them, because it's like he's been using them all day and suddenly he takes the visor off so that they're blasting. I always thought that that would, he would have be at a reduced power level. Well, you know, I've always had questions about that. And even in X-Men, uh, they, they were never really forthcoming on good information in that regard. And I use this as an example in issue 134, and that's the one, uh, Too Late the Heroes, I just covered on Back to the Bins uh, last weekend, the Assistant Editor's Month episode. Mm-hmm. And there's a segment there. Cyclops has, has got this um, big ruby quartz helmet locked ar- around his skull. Mm-hmm. And during the course of the, the, the what's going on, Gene unlocks it. And he apparently opens his eyes with this thing on. And this is a, a Ruby Quartz uh, helmet that is supposed to prevent him from blasting, right? Right. Somehow him opening his eyes and blasting with his optic pushes uh, it off his blast, head. Pushes the thing off his head and into the, the back of Donald Pierce's head. And I'm like, how does that work? Because if the Ruby Quartz is supposed to negate his power, it wouldn't work. why would it force it off of him? Yeah. Yeah. But that's what he does. So I don't know. It's one of those things they play fast and loose with. And, uh, you know, it does it however they need it to do for that issue. You're just not and, you're not supposed to look at it too closely. Yeah. And then and, and, and we were looking at it too closely. Yeah. So, so. But looking at this cover, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I didn't while it's a dynamic color cover, it didn't really say to me, wow, I'm going to love this issue. Well, there's no, there's no, it's, to me, it's kind of too even. There's no, I mean, Ego's in the, in the lower right corner. Uh, Yeah. He's got these great pink blasts that he's blasting all them with. And you got some great kind of Kirby crackle behind it in the green, but there's no prominent bigger, kind of bigger than live uh, image on this. It's all kind of flat. And I can just imagine what kind of crazy thing Kirby would have done with this if he was, if he was doing this cover. Yeah. And even with, you know, Terry Austin inking it because of the color scheme being used, it kind of ruins any effect that you would get from Terry Austin inking it. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I mean, especially where ego's concerned, you still got that great burn organic look. That's the best part of it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree there that it looks and I think maybe that's why because I, I was looking at the earlier issues of uh, uh, ego that were drawn by Kirby and uh, others that I think Byrne has, because he is such an, an ancient planet, that's why he's drawing him as this ancient uh, kind right. of, and, and he is supposed to be kind of decaying a little bit because he's been off in the uh, interstellar space with, uh, as Ben later pulls up, brings up that he's um, he's been kind of starved for sunlight. So maybe the organic nature. And he's got, got some of that space dementia. Yep. <laughs> You know, or that, that that cosmic Alzheimer's, yeah, yeah, okay. He does seem like a. He looks a lot like the, you know, the uh, the the old uh, cockroach guy in the She-Hulk graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. He looks yeah. a little like him. Now, if you look just to the left of Ego, and before you get to the green Kirby crackle. In that black and gray, do you see what almost looks like a smiling face? Mm-hmm. It looks like, like some an, kind of al- an, alien an alien smiley yeah. face. 
Yeah, I wonder what yeah. that, what a, that's just one a, of the grays. Yeah, I wonder if that's just a, a coincidence. Mm. Hmm. Now I'm looking at a uh, a scanned copy. This is actually one from the Fantastic Four CD that had everything from issue one all the way up through 2006. Mm-hmm. I am looking at a cleaned so up. It's a scanned issue. It's yeah, because I, I would love to see a, a recolored one. It's funny because as you go into the first page, and aside from the thing, everything around him looks like Barry Windsor Smith artwork. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the organics of, of everything around him. It's like it's a tiny little tongues and tendrils. It's almost like he's in some sort of hentai nightmare, <laughs> and they're all getting ready to attack him and find every orifice they can. Well, that could be it. But it also <laughs> looks a lot like when, you, when Byrne does his – his kind of really alien aliens that yeah. this looks a little bit like the stuff that you would see when he's doing his really wild and crazy kind of aliens. I know. And it is so gross and disgusting as far as I'm concerned. Cause that's just like everything that is there is organic or waste or, or you know, whatever it's, well, it's that, not dust. It's not rocks. It's no, that will go. Ben later says it, it feels like he's walking through earwax. Yeah. And that's just, <laughs> that's, did, did when you read this first couple pages? Did it bring back uh, FF four when he's taking the atomic bomb into the mouth of uh, Namor's gigantic beast? You know, someone else had brought that up um, on the on the web page. I uh, I don't remember the early issues of FF uh, FF back then. Isn't that the same one where Johnny Storm finds Namor? Mm-hmm. That's what that's yeah, an well, introduction that's right, to Namor. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, it's the fourth issue. Yes, and so you have to reintroduce the Golden Age character. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't really recall that, so I didn't think back to that. But um, golly, just the the thing himself is always drawn so awesome in here. But I just feel like he's walking around inside somebody's mouth. Well, it looks like it looks like he's going down someone's throat, and yeah, and it's all wet and drippy and uh, hot, hot. Which which I think is odd that okay, you know, because it's story you know it kind of breaks up but if he can if if ego can manifest all these antibodies why can't he manifest them within his own being to attack the thing because he's really other than the the heat and the pressure he's really doesn't encounter any kind of opposition on the way to the brain right right but uh think of it like this if you're sitting there and there's something crawling on your skin you can feel that but once you get to a certain point inside the body, like your intestines or, or something else, there's no sensory, there's no you know nerve endings there to feel something that's happening, and so it doesn't necessarily know exactly where he is. He is incredibly powerful, but he's not omniscient. Well, that, well, if but they say if you at least if you read the wiki page, they said he has complete control down to the molecule of his entire body. Wow. Now that may be something yeah. that's retcon later that he has. Yeah. But. Okay. Well, um, moving on, they do a flashback to the previous issue, which they really shouldn't have done because kind of everything that happened was wiped away by the guy by the end of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, it, I mean, it is a great little flashback, him and his old flight buddy, which I, I, makes me wonder exactly how old is the thing at this point. Because the bartender is a, was a, a peer of his as a test pilot, and well, he looks to be, you know, pretty old. Well, they started out originally, Reed and 
Ben. Ben were in World War Two or Korea, the Korean War, correct? Oh, okay. or no, World well, War Two or then Korean. Now I don't know what's maybe it's by now the season is eighty one. Yeah, it could have been the Korean War because that's what thirty years prior. So he could yeah, have now been, they'd probably be in Afghanistan. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that sliding time scale. Yeah, but anyway, the third panel, uh, I really love that that the thing looking at New York having been nearly destroyed and all the rubble about him. You half expect to see Barney in there. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, you get the bottom panel, which is Reed in that typical, you know, arm stretching over to the left and the, the rest of them standing behind him. Mm-hmm. And Sue with that horrible hair, hairdo that she's got going on there. Well, I will give it this to Burn because th- the, this, uh, this, these are two big pages that are basically flashbacks to the previous issue. And right. Burn redraws the scenes. If you look at the previous issue, these same scenes are in there, but from like a different angle. So yeah. he's redrawn this. He's not just clipping. Uh, right. He's not just reprinting what he had originally. So He's giving the fans their money's worth. Yeah, I give him that. Yep. And then uh, the next page, of course, this is page to me because, you know, he's got shock on the faces of all four of them as they're seeing Ego for the first time. And... Johnny's head just looks wrong. I mean, Reed looks shocked. Ben looks shocked. Sue looks shocked. Johnny looks like a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> he looks a little. Yeah, it looks like someone took an air pump to Franklin Richards and pumped him up. I was thinking the very thing. He does look a little a lot like Franklin <laughs> Richards. His jaws, yeah. his jaws, a little too far, too far forward or too far down. I think it looks like he's trying to trying to uh, press his jaw outside of his face. Yeah, but that panel below where we see Ego for the first time. Now, we, we actually see Ego for the first time at the end of the previous issue, and mm-hmm. it's a, pretty much a full-page uh, shot of him. And you see the, the Fantastic Four's uh, ship as it's coming into it. Now, <clears throat> as I understand it, Ego, as far as his mass and size go, he's 4,000 miles, and that's going through him. Mm-hmm. All right? So he's about two thirds the size of the Earth. So maybe size, the Earth, size if you go, of Mars, go through maybe. is like seven thousand, right? Yeah. That, is that right? The Earth go if you go from go through it is seven thousand miles. Uh, yes. Are we, uh, sure. I'll, so yeah, so he's I'll about two thirds. Actually, the diameter of the Earth is seven thousand nine hundred seventeen point five miles. Two thirds that, but you can see the Fantastic Force ship coming up to it. And then you got all these little little moons or mini planets or or what? And yeah, then, I don't know what those are supposed to be. And what is that little? Okay, you've got the the two planets down in the bottom right right hand corner, and there's something that looks like a cross between Godzilla and Howard the Duck. That's off of his cheek, but it's got light coming out of it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting some weird Rorschach response <laughs> out of that when I'm looking at that. It's just there. This is this is what started making me think about certain things with this issue that just I couldn't let go. And I'll, I'll go into them as we go on forward. But this this uh, this wasn't as as dynamic as what we saw at the end of the previous issue. No, even it's not. It's we're not, not covering it. It's not nice. And then he, you know, blasts the ship. And of course, you've got that great shot of Reed wrapping himself around Susan and Johnny. And, and I always like it when they are able to fit all four of them into the image. Well, it's you know? crazy. Ben's, Ben's got a, a really wild, crazy 
expression. Yeah. He looks kind of like uh, the Cookie Monster or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's that's great. And then you see the the ship go down towards the planet, and this is the uh, you know really close to the the surface. And if you go back and look at the Kirby stuff, this is basically cribbed right from Kirby. Right, yeah, that I, I would see that from Byrne. He would be as faithful to the original source material as he could. Yeah. And then going on to the next page, Johnny jumps right out of the ship and, oh, we're so lucky it's got an oxygen atmosphere. <laughs> but if it did have an oxygen atmosphere, why are we not seeing blue in the sky rather than stars? Uh, that's a good question. Maybe he doesn't. Well, Maybe it's nighttime. Maybe yeah, they're on the, the they're not on the sun side of it. You know that that could be the the reason. Could be. Uh, of course, side. doesn't Johnny have a an oxygen like uh, webbing that he wears that allows his flame to work in the vacuum? And that could also be feeding him oxygen. I don't recall. I mean, it wasn't mentioned anywhere in this particular story. No, I, I, I thought I, he had that I, in the past. I, they probably had that in the past, but they never mentioned it here. And this is one of those things where he would definitely mention it. You think? But Johnny goes and burns up a uh, a landing strip for them to, to land the, the ship. And, of course, they come out and a great, beautiful shot of Ben Grimm down there in the bottom mm-hmm. left-hand uh, page. And then you see the, uh, the propulsion system, which doesn't look as massive as it should. Well, he's Johnny flying up to it. Yeah, so Reed, I, Reed tries to explain how, you know, how big it is, that it must be – you know, hundreds of miles high. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's an uh, an issue with uh, the Inhumans. Several uh, several issues later, where they're basically in a dreamlike state, not realizing that they're actually in a dream, and they're uh, being antagonized by an incredibly gigantic monster that's supposed to be many millions of miles across, and they're real, 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 real tiny inside of his spaceship. Hmm. And Reed, of course, is sitting there saying it's not possible for us to even see this guy <laughs> or to do any of the things that we do, you know, because he basically burned, took into account time, space and, you know, everything that, that's involved around that, especially where human senses are concerned. And I don't think he's doing that here when he when he did this particular story. There are so many distances that they have to go. Yeah, I think if he played it too hard with the science and this either the story couldn't exist or it would fall apart. So he has to kind of play with the bend the rules a little bit just so we can, we can um, move know, along, move along. Exactly. Yeah. I got a question about the, um, I think it's a kind of a cool idea that basically Galactus stuck this, um, this rocket pack on ego to basically blast him into inner, you know, interstellar space. So he couldn't threaten anybody else. Why didn't right. Galactus just consume him? That's what he does. He eats planets. Just why? that's what Galactus intended on doing. Okay, Galactus intended on 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 consuming ego, and originally, if if I remember right, uh, in in one book, Thor was working with Galactus, and another one he was working against him. I think the second time they met, he was sided with Galactus to defeat ego. Exactly. So the first time he was actually defending ego. Right. And you know it it it's you know Galactus could not get around to eating him, and so he's going to try again later. <laughs> you know, it's, it's basically, oh, someone's at my table, so I'll come back later. He comes back later. Okay. And this time he paid for drinks, so Thor <laughs> came with him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I again, I got, I got a problem looking at that engine too because it looks like the engine is basically gigantic thrusting rockets. 
That's exactly what it looks like. It looks like two big mufflers. Right, but where's the fuel? Oh, it's it's Galactus technology. It doesn't need fuel. Come on. I mean, yeah, I, I know, on, and, that, and that's the thing. You know, it could be dimensional portal exhaust. That's what it is. Yeah. So, but nobody ever explained that to us. They, they called it a sidereal propulsion unit, which sidereal basically means side by side. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but you know, it, it's there's. They could have, you know, espoused a little bit of techno babble here beyond that. Well, and do you think Burn would? I think if this was later in Burn's run, he would have gone to more length to explain, yeah, but, come up with some kind of techno babble for this. Yeah, but there's a couple other little missteps as we go along, and I'll, we'll, we'll get there though. So, you know, Reed and then they get on the Fantastic Cycles, which I really like those. By the way, I always wanted to drive one of those. And Ego gets his head to pop up out of the ground. And that looks like he's about to ask to bring the starship just a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Exactly what it looks like. <laughs> bring the ship closer. I said, what does God need with a starship? Jim. And then apparently he gives him a little bit of ego breath. <laughs> Is that what he did down there at the bottom? No, psychic power. Psychic power. Psychic power. Okay, yeah. A little brain blast. And they wind up landing down on the surface. Johnny saves Reed and Sue. And then they start getting attacked by Ego's antibodies. And the first time I saw these in the book, I thought of the Mad Thinker's androids. Oh, the awesome android, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, they had that kind of square or rectangular heads. They look almost like, like they've got an Arnim Zola head, like it's yeah, a screen. But these are these are basically from the Kirby story. Oh, okay. They look just so like that. Yeah, they, this is definitely an homage to that. And uh, I, but I think they look really really cool, and I love that bottom panel there where the thing is fighting those and Reed and, and Johnny's got Reed and Sue, and uh, they realize yeah these are antibodies, and then the next page is such an opportunity that was missed. But when when Ben's throwing them off, okay, so Ben's throwing them off in one panel. Okay, the second panel's got Sue trying to get away from Invisible and realizing that she can't, so instead she shoots up with a force field in the next panel. And in the final panel, you see Reed gathering them up in, with his elastic form. He should – this page right here is ripe for a panel of the Human Torch instead of two panels of Susan. You know, each panel showing each member of the Fantastic Four mm, doing yeah. their own thing. Good point. Good point. And I don't know why he missed that unless – well, I mean part of it I think is because on the next page we find out that – the antibodies just walk right into the torch's flame, you know? And so it's not like he could have rounded them up with his flame or anything. He would be mostly useless in that. And that's probably but, why he, he wound up doing that. But you could have had a nice shot of him just blasting them. Right. Maybe without no, with any dialogue. And then in the next page where he finds out that they're basically you're kind of shrugging off his flames. But I, th- I think or that's just, a, Or just walking into him and getting burned burned up. Yeah. I can't say burned alive, burned. but burned burned up, yeah. But you know, that was that was just I, I, I just thought this page was a perfect and I'm wondering if he even thought about doing it, and that's why he had this page like that, but then he realized he couldn't explain his way out of it that easily. And so instead he had it two panels of Susan. Well yeah, but I think that's a that's a that's a, actually a very good idea. I think he should have he should have done that. I I didn't pick up that at all. I just that there was, a, there was four of them and there were four panels. Yeah. Okay, so the next page, um, Reed shoots them off and it looks like he's shooting them off towards one of the 
the moons, yeah. yeah, or planets that's around them. And they, of course, get to the uh, the the thing. Johnny throws down a wall of fire, and anybody start going into him. And I really love the look on Johnny's face at the bottom of that page because you can really see the shock mm-hmm. on his face. Of course, you know he's thinking that these are just like people, and Reed's, of course telling him not to worry about it and you shouldn't worry about anything considering how this book ends but <laughs> <laughs> there's that and then we get to the part of the story where we see frankie ray realizing that she's got no towels and she's got to walk through the apartment naked and you know he's got that one backside shot but no side boob what's wrong there well you're not gonna this is and 80, this is 81 you get a good look at frankie where she looks a lot more like mary jane than uh, I'd seen her in other books. You know, just that one shot looks more like Mary Jane Watson on the bottom right hand corner. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was trying yeah. to, I was trying to read the nightstand. I like the little um, um, detail of having a picture of Johnny on the nightstand. Yeah, and the stuffed animals on the bed. Yeah, I was trying to read what those books were, but I can't read them. I don't know about you, but I when I go to take a shower, I make I make sure for like in the shower that I've got a towel. Or a I robe. got a towel. I got. A robe. Clean clothes, clean clothes <laughs> ready for me in there because we've got one bathroom under construction. So we've only got one one bathroom in the house, one shower in the house. So I get dressed in there because I don't want to walk through the house, you know, naked or in a bathroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't, now, I don't now, apparently she likes clowns or her roommate Julie likes clowns because she's got a clown on her dresser. And that yeah. is a freaky looking little clown. <laughs> yeah. But – I got, I, I got to bring up something here, and it's really more regarding the next couple of issues. But I got to bring it up here just because of what this particular moment is revealing. Now, you, you know what, what's, what this is leading up to, right? Yeah. And I mean, this is you know 35 years ago. I'm sure everybody has read this, read the following issues, and know what's going on. Frankie is seeing the gold costume that's covering her body. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that costume's always there, right? Right. She never never takes it off. How the hell does she go to the bathroom? It's got to be unstable molecules, man. It's got to be. <laughs> I mean, parts. you know, and the thing is, they never talk about that. They never once broach the subject. OK, so you got this costume on all the time. Well, also, she's in the shower. She's obviously taking a shower. She's. Yeah. And when feeling when she the puts costume, on the, when she puts on the robe, the gloves disappear. Yeah, and, that's what she I mean, shows. Yeah, shows Johnny that next time when she goes, look, yeah. and, you know, she takes her robe off and she's got a costume on. Right. But yeah, I mean, she doesn't know that she's got the costume on until she sees it out of the corner of her eye. It's just it's just one of those things. I'm just like crazy. It's and again, it's one of those things that you're not supposed to think, think about, about too. think about too much. Yeah, I, yeah. Did, I will say I did like this when Bernard would do this in his run that he would throw these little um, kind of vignettes in there. It's like, well, this is kind of leading up to something else and it all kind of ties together instead of just throwing it at a, uh, each separate issue, he builds up to his two particular stories coming across. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, when, when you look back, um, when he worked on the Avengers for that three, uh, two issue run or was it, no, it's three issue run. And then later the 10 issue run. So 164 through 166, which we covered in our first, first episode, show, yeah. episode. And then one, 181 through 191, when he was working with Dave Michelinie, the, the 164 through 166 was written by Jim Shooter. And then 181 through 191 was, I believe, pretty much all, all Michelinie with others helping. 
and the um, every one of those had some sort of even even the shooter issues had bits and pieces of upcoming stories thrown in there. They mm-hmm. had the the whole Wanda and Pietro storyline teased way back there in 164 and 166, and it didn't come to fruition until 185. So you know, two years in advance, they teased that, and. Even in the X Men, Claremont would sit there and tease stuff ad nauseum. And oh well, yeah, Claremont was always ad. right. <laughs> so when Byrne starts doing this, yeah, he's he's sitting there and he's really laying the groundwork for stuff way down the road. Was, I mean, but yeah, he was good about that. He was good about doing it the same. I, I guess it was the Marvel way at the time. Yeah, and but- even though Shooter came back with the one issue um resolution at some point he was still able to sit there and tease things because he did it so subtly yeah the only thing i didn't like about the frankie ray uh, storyline was it kind of built up to built up to it. and when finally it's revealed that she has powers similar to the torch then suddenly galactus shows up and oh she's his herald and she's gone you know i would have wanted her to stay around a little bit longer yeah or maybe he could have brought toro back to life and done yeah. it for him <laughs> or something or just you know have her hang out with a torch for three four or five issues and then have galactus come in it's almost like they introduced her this build up oh here she is and oh now we got to get you know we got to get rid of her well that's because people were actually writing in going so are you changing the book to the fantastic five <laughs> well they were they, i mean this was really a big topic of discussion back in the day and the letters pages of the fantastic four were by far some of the most craziest letters pages you'd ever seen back in this time. As as the years went on that Burma's on the book, there was nuclear physicists getting into arguments about how the Fantastic Force powers work, specifically the Invisible Woman. And there was a uh, a letter writing thing that went back and forth where they talked about if she was in a closet that had one light bulb in there, the light bulb was on, but she made the light bulb invisible. Would the room go dark? See, that's that's some of those questions you don't need to ask yourself. I mean, it's fun to to argue that kind of stuff, but <laughs> yeah, it's, but that was that was really. I mean, it really got nuts on the letters page there for a while. And of course, you know, even even this at one uh, one or two points, I think Stan Lee wrote in. Oh, I'm sure so, that uh, that probably uh, yeah impressed Burn. Yes, yes. Okay, so moving on to the next page. Um, we see Ben pulling out the the module. Reed wants him to get out, and um, Ego, of course, is manifesting himself outside in huge, huge body form. But it, it does that still look like the same face, or does that look like a? a I can't tell if it's his, clean shaven or not. His in my beard costume. looks no. His beard looks different. It's almost like a kind of like a Klingon type beard. Yeah, it makes me think of Professor X when he was fighting a Mo Farouk. Mm-hmm. You know his astral image. And it looks a little um, – I get a little bit of a Proteus vibe from it too, from the X-Men. Yeah. But the organics of this page are just beautiful and I really, really love at the bottom the way the four of them are on Sue's force field riding mm-hmm. it like Iceman slide. Yeah. That is just beautiful. And I remember seeing that reprinted I think in um, Ohatmu. Oh, demonstrating uh, the, her powers? Yeah, the second um, the second edition of Ohatmu. Which uh, the deluxe, which they're actually covering on the Fire and Water Network as Ohatmu or not, <laughs> where there's a, a group of girls with uh, I believe it's Siskoid, 
and the girls, it, they, he shows them several characters from Ohatmu, and they determine whether or not they are hot or not. I can see that. Yeah, but you, you would think that they would find the the angel to be hot. No, no, they said he was not. Oh, poor Warden. I know. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> it's like the uh, the. Do you ever do you have any of the uh, the swimsuit issues they came up with in was it the late eighties, early nineties? The Marvel like the Marvel swimsuit issues. They had like two, I think, issues. They're basically think, all pinups. I think I might. Yeah, I think I might somewhere. Didn't they have one with She Hulk with the tan lines and everything? Where she's sipping out of a soda or something, and I don't remember any tan lines, but they're, they're, they're all and they're all done by various artists, and they were yeah, yeah, um, uh, just basically you know cheesecake shot. And there were a couple of beefcake shots too. There was a one of of Colossus and like this little speedo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, looking back at this, you know, I was just admiring that one page for the detail of all the organic art and everything. And as we go on to the next page. Where they show Reed and Sue running down the tunnel, doesn't it look like the art? Doesn't the art look a little um, less detailed than what we've been seeing? It is. I don't know if that's he's done that purposely. To it looks like what you're looking at on the the previous page is at a distance. It doesn't look more porous. And then as he's getting here, it looks like you said the first time. It looks more like someone's throat or inside yeah. of someone's intestine or something. It looks a little more. Because even yeah. the brain itself is not very, not very detailed. But, but this is the brain as it was drawn by Rich Buckler, in in the the I believe it was two twenty five for Thor two twenty five or two twenty six. This is the the brain as it was drawn there. But Reed, of course, did, you know says that this is you know fake. It's a fake pseudo brain. brain. Yeah, fake brain. Brain and brain. What is brain? <laughs> and uh, so he has you know Johnny fry it, and uh, then we move on, and of course. At this point, golly, that's just gorgeous. It reminds me a little bit of, um, golly, I, I, I'm thinking about when, not when Byrne was doing it, but when Paul Smith was uh, doing the artwork on the X-Men and they were dealing with the the Brood saga. I don't know. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that? Yeah. With, with, in the Shire. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of when they were inside that giant space whale. But I guess it makes sense, you know, as organic as it is. But out of all the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards is the first one to be affected by this. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I would think and, that he wouldn't be affected. Uh, he, I think it would be Sue, Johnny, Reed, or actually maybe Reed last because he's – you think he can, he can compress his body. Or decompress. Or decompress. So I think he would be – between him and Ben wouldn't be uh, – because he could just condense himself into like a ball to make it to make it all the way down there. Yeah, and, and by by this point in time, they're within several atmospheres, multiple atmospheres. Yeah. Um, but I love the next page where you see, and is it is that Sue or is that Johnny? Yeah, it's Sue. It's all uh, sweaty. Yeah, all sweaty with her hair all <laughs> messed up, and then Ben throws her. And I'm just going to say it's because of the momentum of the way that Ben threw her that her chest looks off but yeah but i think that's how it would look i think burns actually done a pretty good job of the way her 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 breast would kind of come up like that yeah the way he's throwing them i i think it's a little irresponsible for him to throw her uh i'm at i assume he thinks well she'll she'll cushion herself with a force field or she'll somehow save herself he's just basically throwing her no telling how far 
And he's quoting Bugs Bunny as he's throwing her Bon yeah. Voyage. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I hope. And, well, I'll bring up something we get to, towards the end of this. Yeah. But the, the panel right below that, when it's just the thing and the torch, it is so lacking in detail. Of them you walking know, down. Yeah. 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 But then the next panel looks really nice. A lot better, at least. But I sure do like those blue and black lines, though. Mm-hmm. And then the next page, it's just a thing by himself as he's sitting there running down in there. And to me, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's gorgeous, him sitting there with the thing on his back. And then you got the next panel where it looks like he's running across the alveoli of the lungs. Mm-hmm. Or a spinal column or something. Yeah, and then the, the all blue image in that third panel almost looks like it was taken from a different book entirely. And then put in here, but it's a contrast to the uh, to that first one there. Yeah, it's supposed to. I guess. Well, when you see the next page, you see that it's supposed to be kind of giving off. I guess this kind of a an eerie blue light. I yeah. But what it, did he print that off in his dot matrix printer? Uh, are you talking about the 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 big splash page? The yeah, the brain. That's that's uh some zipatone in it. That's what that looks like. He's put zipatone over his black lines to give it that those speed it, lines radiating it, out. Yeah, it's just so weird. It looks it looks so manufactured. You know, it did it. it I don't think it enhanced the art. I think it kind of. I, I agree. I think he would have been just as well to. I like the speed lines in the dark, the dark blue speed lines in the black surrounding it. I wouldn't yeah. put the zipatone in the actual lines of the brain itself. Right, right. It looks like it just looks like a big mush. It looks like a the state of marshmallow man if he's been, you know, after he's been roasted or something. It just well, I, I see like a giant ant covered in foam. I see that as the head of the ant. You know, okay. oh, I kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really weird. <clears throat> but then the next page, you get that that nine piece, nine pa- panel history. And there's which, some and there's some great detail in this. This is really beautiful. Yeah. For small as these panels are. <clears throat> Especially when you got Galactus in there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's a perfect way to sum it all up and, and keep the, the story going. And then, of course, you see the thing, and he throws, and he misses. And then Ego, of course, is uh, understanding what's going on, tries to fire, and only one engine fires. Now, at this point, my question is, how close is Ego to Earth? Because he's close enough that his mass is strong enough to affect Earth's gravity. All right? Well, was that what was affecting Earth? Was his his gravity. I thought he was pro- he was projecting something. He was probing. It didn't Reed say that he was trying to probe the oh, earth right. with He's gravity. Probing, with, probing yeah. with gravity waves. That's right. That's right. You're right. So that's wrong. But still, I'm just wondering because you know on the next page, all of a sudden he's able to go in a matter of I don't know how long right into the sun. Yeah, he does. If around. he was close to Earth, you're, you're talking about traveling 90 million miles. Well, this this the supposedly he can do. Uh, light speed uh, with this engine. My right. question is: these these engines are so close to each other that if just one fired, I don't think it would veer off like that and and shoot him around in a circle. If they were right. further spaced apart, that might happen. But I don't think just. Yeah, but I think we're dealing with the same kind of uh, spacious relativity that Star Trek was dealing with when they were trying to do the Doomsday Machine. 
True. If this is some type yeah. of some type of a warp field it's creating, then only having one fire might screw up the warp field, corrupt it, and it might send him off yeah. um, into the moon. But here's where and th- and they, and Burn kind of wraps this up pretty quick. It's kind of like okay, yeah. I, I gotta I gotta you know I'm running out of pages. I gotta get this done. It goes into the sun. It's melting as it's getting there. It's falling apart. The thing gets out. You're thinking, oh my gosh, the thing's gonna die. And somehow the Fantastic Four were able to to stay with it. I guess what was they stayed with the planet till it started breaking apart itself. Is that what they did? Well, I would. The only did, thing did I they take think off and follow it. My guess is they would had to once each. You know, they're falling down. You know, they're they're each one is failing as they're going trying to go down. They must at that point when they knew they couldn't go any further have gone back to the ship because they certainly couldn't right. have gotten to the ship when it started to break apart. So they must have gone back. So they were ready to – they probably did what they did in Lost in Space. You know, they went through the planet. We have to go down through the planet as she's breaking up. When it started breaking up. Yep, yep. I wish they would have uh, – I wish Byrne would have, you know, at least done something so you could see Star Core, you yeah. know, Michael Corbo's little satellite yeah. thing that yeah. goes around the sun. I thought that would be would have been cool for them to put that there and all that. But they wrap the <coughs> – excuse me. They wrap the story up really quick. Yeah, it's and, – and, and then they tell us, hey, it's our 20th anniversary special, 20th, Fantastic Four 20th anniversary special, Terror in a Tiny Town, 20 years. And this is oh my god! Yeah. It's fifty-five years now. Holy wow. crap! And we don't have a Fantastic Four book anymore, do we? No, but I, I've got hopes that they're they're gonna gonna bring it back. I'm 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 I've almost stopped buying Marvel, and I'm kind of in despair about what both in both companies in general, but Marvel because Marvel's closer to my heart. But just there, there the, there's the got, stuff they're a doing. Cha- change is a coming. Change is is yeah. a coming. It's a comic book industry. Change is always coming. Oh yeah, it'll uh, and it'll uh, you know. And, and the thing is, the most of the changes are. I point the finger at the movies, and not that I don't love the movies, but I don't like. I want the movies and the comics kind of be separate. I don't like the fact that they're altering the books to mirror the movies. You know, because they they're in their mind, more people are seeing the movies than are reading the books. So. Right. If they're seeing the movie, we don't want to confuse them, so we got to change the book to mirror, you know, to match the film. So right, right. I mean, even when Grant Morrison was doing X Men, they started doing making the X Men look like they did in the movies. Yeah, yeah. They started dressing them in the black leather and yeah, you know, and all that. And okay, whatever. But you know, I mean, for me, it's all just the trappings on it. What did you think of of uh, Fantastic Four two thirty five? I I liked it. I mean, I, there's no burn story I don't like. It's right. it is a little again. I don't want to use the word forgettable. It's a little ho hum. I mean, it's it's okay. Uh, I don't think there's any other than the thing with Frankie Ray that pushes that story along. And there's no kind of revelation. It's it's a fun story. I mean, it certainly yeah. is fun, and uh, it's it's kind of cool if you didn't know anything about Ego. It's kind of an interesting concept to bring this character in, uh, especially to you know characters. You know, this is if he's eighty one, he was created like in. <laughs> What sixty nine? So he hadn't been around for ten or eleven years. Yeah, that seems weird. You know, you think of guy he hadn't been around it forever, and it was only like ten years. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I was sitting there looking at this book, and I was sitting there thinking to myself how it's in so many ways indicative of what was right 
about Marvel Comics back then, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it it I mean, here you've got a self-contained story and you know, it's got so much into it, you know, I mean, it compressed if you want to say it or or just, you know, standard thing. But to me this is this is the difference between Burns' old work and what his work had turned out to be in later years. Because aside from splash pages, you had some very, you know, compressed pages, uh, anywhere between six and nine panels on, on your average page that, you know, told the story, told it well, and got that kept things moving, even had some sidebars, you know, Mm -hmm. flashbacks and, you know, paid attention to, to history. This right here is, is everything that you'd want out of a Marvel comic. And this is the perfect example of what Marvel needs to look back and say, what are we doing wrong? We need to be doing more like this. Now, yeah, you say it's a forgettable story, but you look at it and it's just huge. It's got, I'll, I'll give you that. It's got a big scope. What I, and again, I want to, I don't want to emphasize I'm saying forgettable. It's a, it's not necessarily a story I would revisit. And it's not necessarily a story, if I'm thinking of the burn run on FF, right. that kind of stands out. No, I understand. Yeah. But, I mean, again, you're like, it's one issue. Yeah. One, damn, one issue. <laughs> How is this only one issue? It's like when we were sitting there complaining about uh, the, the Count Nefarious storyline only being three issues when that could have taken a whole year today. Oh, this would be a, this would be a five issue series. Yeah. Today. Yeah, exactly. Now, what about just killing ego? Uh, that does seem a little unread-like because it's seen his track. Well, his track record later with Galactus. That it he wasn't insists- his intention, though, necessarily to kill him, just to make it so he couldn't do anything. He was trying to deactivate the engine, and he was trying to stun. That's true. Ego. That's true. That's true. He wasn't necessarily trying to kill him. He were trying to just get off and and stun and him. And so, so yeah. So it kind of it, it was a miscalculation, definitely as far as the the whole engine thing goes. But you should know you take a part out of the engine, the engine's not going to work. Or it could likely blow up. Yeah, and so you know, it's 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 weird. Um, it it. it either you know, I mean, it it says I think a little bit more about John Byrne rather than it said about. Reed Richards, you know, and I think John Byrne just did things for the story's sake. And it kind of, I, I don't know if he, if, if it was his intention to wipe out ego altogether. Well, he might've had the intention of, this is a character hadn't been used in 10 years and, and knowing, I mean, I, I would think as a comic book writer and someone has been in the industry, you have to realize that if you're going to kill someone off, they're never going to stay dead. So you have to think, well, they can always be re- – if somebody else wants to play with this character, they can resurrect him in some way, which is what happens. So uh, – or maybe it was just to uh, – maybe it's to demonstrate ego's ego. You know, he – he uh, they said he can – he's intelligent, but he can be kind of rattled. And, you know, he does – he gets enraged and he fires off this engine thinking that, that – uh, I guess he thinks he's just going to get away. I don't know what his, you know, even if he didn't fly into the sun, I don't know what his, his big plan was. Um, Oh, he thinks he's going to crash into the earth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to kind of kamikaze into the earth. And that's what he, he spins around. 
Yeah, because at this point, he's definitely suffering the space dementia or whatever it is. So his plans aren't quite making sense. Um, Let me ask you this. When you read this, did you ever think of Unicrom? No, but I'm not. I'm not big. You're talking Transformers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not. I'm not a, a Transformers guy. I mean, I've seen the movies. Uh, the first one I watched several times because I liked a lot of the action in it. Uh, but I haven't watched any of the other ones more than once. Okay. You know, um, they just you know they don't do it for me. Well, the that's from uh, the cartoon. Back the cartoon. The, and you know, I own the cartoon, and I've tried watching it but no go i can't i can't i just can't just no all right yeah let me ask you though how do you think ego is star lord's dad i don't know i mean uh, from what i've read in the wiki that uh, obviously ego is well in the in the movie they're making ego a celestial he's a celestial he's a celestial celestial wow so that's and then then he I guess often creates his um, avatar, which is Kurt Russell, to kind of I guess walk amongst the people. Yeah, um, and that's how he. Uh, how did it say he? Uh, now this is. I hope this is not spoilers. This is what I read online. So if it's if you don't know any more about Guardians and tune out right now, he he often assumes the the guise of a humanoid, and I guess goes and basically has kids. And then that's what when Starlord was taken by uh, y- Yondo, is that his name? Yondo. 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 Yeah. He is collecting all of his kids because he wanted to see if any of them had inherited his power. And apparently, oh. Starlord is the only one that had. How many kids did he have? It didn't explain, but apparently, he's also one that raised Mantis. Oh, okay. This well, is all all in the film. I don't think you know, this takes yeah. place in the, in the book, but. Uh, I'm I'm kind of excited because I didn't think at all when he said that Kurt Russell was going to play his father. I was thinking more of like Star Jammers, kind of that uh, Corsair, you know, that type of father, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not a, that's, a Celestial. That's, yeah. So with Mantis, are we going to get into the Celestial Madonna saga? Who knows? Who knows? Penthouse, uh. <laughs> she's, uh, you know, how uh, Scott Gardner just turned us off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think he turned us off long before that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, it looks just like a heck of a lot of fun, though. It looks like I'm really kind of excited to see that. And we really hadn't talked about this. What do you think of the Thor trailer? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That that right there looks like so much fun. And I think that's that's something that the Marvel movies have been, aside from Ant-Man, you know, they like Age of Ultron. That was a bummer, you know. Hmm. Uh, Civil War, while it had some fun moments, that's a bummer of a movie, you know. Well, especially you know how they leave off two. Mm-hmm. I don't say best friends or anything, but comrades, and they're uh, you know. <laughs> ah, well, I think it's yeah. just. A, I think it's a brilliant way to work in Planet Hulk because we don't know where Hulk's been, right? And so obviously he's. I guess been abducted and he's been all this time. So you kind of get that storyline without having to do the whole, the whole movie. So I think it's just, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about Spider-Man homecoming. Uh, yeah, I am. And I'm not, I mean, I'm more excited about it. You're than a Spider-Man guy. Yeah. They're making the movies for you. Well, 
they, they not since they made the Maguire movies, I think that they've been make, kind of making them for me. But because I think the uh, the last two left kind of a bad taste in my mouth. So this one looks like because I loved him you in know, Civil it, War. It this never, looks like no matter what they do, it's never going to get better than the battle between Spider Man and Doc Ock on the subway. Hmm. That right there was the 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 quintessential Spider Man moment. And Raimi and McGuire and Phil Lamar, you know, they made that uh, just the perfect Spider-Man moment. That right there is the essence of, of Peter Parker's Spider-Man. Yeah. My my only problem with that whole scene, that whole uh, the train uh, scene is the way he stops the train. That Spider-Man would not do that. He, that whole – and it looks like they're doing the same scene in – the new movie where he's trying to hold the boat together. Yeah. Where he's kind of like this Christ figure, you know, where he's got all these and he's holding on to it. It's like, that's not, uh, Spider-Man would not do that. He would, he would, he would, you know, swing ahead and shoot barriers and that would cause it to stop. He would, he would try to, uh, web the, the wheels to the, to the track. Gum them up. Gum them up. Yeah. Yeah. He would do something. He would, um, he would not just, do what he did to kind of, but that I understand why they, cause that has to be the kind of sacrifice. So that it leads into him, you know, right. Minute. right. So I, you know, but I, I mean, kind of the whole, that. the whole battle though, that went on between him and, and doc Ock on around under and through the, the subway car. And uh, just that right there was to me, that's the way it, it should be. The only thing of course, that was wrong with that is that, the first time that, that Spider-Man hit Doc Ock, he should have had his head splattered. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true of any, that's true of any, uh, of any, uh, any comic, but they got the dynamics. They started getting the dynamics of Spider-Man pretty close in that one. Uh, I thought they even did a better job in Civil War just because of the advancement of computer technology. Absolutely. Of, of him spinning around and the kind of, the kind of acrobats that he could, that he could actually do. Um, in that, so I'm kind of looking forward to, uh, and I like, uh, is it, is it Tom Holland? Is that she's playing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like him better than Andrew Garfield. I, uh, I never, yeah, I never yeah. liked Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield always sounded like he was yelling out of his mask, <laughs> you know, and he's trying to be funny, but because of the way he was yelling, it wasn't, wasn't doing right. They should have taken a cue from Deadpool. Well, I think a lot of movies are taking are taking cues. I mean, Deadpool was such a an unexpected success, and it was this hard art. I think it's why Logan is R rated, um, which I have yet to see. I have still not seen Logan. I just can't seem to find the time. Oh, uh, go see it as soon as you can. Yeah, go see I heard, it. I, heard it's, it's, I heard it's pretty it is, good. It is. It is a fantastic film. It's. It. Uh, I. I'll, I will say though, it's hard to watch more than once. Really. Well, they. I mean, it's it's so good. In I, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, not not in the, how good or bad it is, but in in how it uh, reaches inside of you. And I think the only movie that that I can compare it to that way is Pay It Forward, okay. which I like that as a movie, but I can never watch it again. Okay, yeah, I can I can understand why you can. I've heard yeah. that it's um that it's it's powerful and it's it's. It's 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 well acted, well written. It uh, it's a good, and I don't think it's a, a secret that it's Hugh Jackman's final uh, moment is Wolverine. I think they say he it's a it's a good send off for you, him. I will bet you anything. Sometime within the next ten years, that Fox and Marvel or Disney 
or whoever is going to make a deal so that Wolverine will appear in a Marvel movie. And Hugh Jackman has already gone on record after doing Logan. He's gone on record saying that he would be up for that. Yeah, I, th- I think he would be. Yeah. That's money. That is Fox. Marvel is printing money. <laughs> well, I don't know why Fox just put Wolverine. Doesn't do, uh, well, they need to do the same deal that Sony's got. I mean, let the you know let them use the X Men characters, and you can make your own movies. I mean, I, I guess they're afraid that if Marvel Studios starts using them, it's going to dilute what they've got. But you know, okay, they, but see, see, you got to remember back in the late nineties um, when DC and Marvel had let down their guard other, and they made the you know the amalgam age of comics. Mm-hmm where they you know, had, had done all that stuff. They had some really great stuff there, and they did some really good sales. And then they let John Byrne do the Captain America uh, Batman story. you know. And then mm-hmm. ultimately we get the JLA Avengers by Kurt and excuse me, Perez. And you know, these were amazing, amazing stories done really, really well. Uh, I liked the later stuff. I definitely liked the – you know, Burns take and, and the uh, JLA Avengers more than the whole amalgam stuff. I thought some of that was a little too, because didn't they have the battles determined by fan votes or something like that? I can't remember when those came out. I mean, I, I've, I collected them yeah. all and some are, yeah. some are more successful than others because some are a little too. Yeah. But the um, thing is, is that they worked together. They made good sales. Everybody was very pleased. And then the politics and the guys running the show, whether it's Casada or whoever, and the guys at DC had to be, you know, have to be their thick-headed, and let's you know use the right word here, ego, mm-hmm. big egos mm-hmm. on the part of the guys running the show has gotten in the way of anybody being able to you know get together again to put out something as good, and it's the same reason we don't have John Byrne working in the comic book industry anymore. It's because those that are in power can't seem to find a way to get along with the talent well a lot of the talent seems to be unless they are at a like bendis level where they have a little more they're kind of staring the boat a little more they're not just just writing they're not just talent a mm-hmm. lot are leaving i think because they are doing their own uh they're, they're going more towards independent because well obviously they make more money they're going to yeah, make the more pie. money and and nobody can create brand new characters for dc or marvel because well, they're going to they, own them. They, yeah, they won't own them, and they won't get paid what they're due. Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't blame them for that, but they are. That means we are losing a lot of. But there, but I mean, it, it's a constant flow. You're always going to get new artists coming up that are that are doing some impressive stuff. But uh, but just, and, and that but that's the other thing that's going on in the industry right now is that you've got true professionals out there that do good work that you know, can write and draw and, and do all these things that neither Marvel or DC will give a job to simply because they're old. Mm-hmm. Well, they, uh, Jerry Ordway is a, is a perfect example. The guy is a writer, artist, you know, just extraordinaire. And his stuff today looks incredibly beautiful and they won't call him. Well, I mean, you get, I mean, Neil Adams is still doing stuff. I think um, I'm enjoying the stuff that Jerry Conway's doing. Uh, over at Spider-Man back at, uh, over at Marvel, yeah. you know, and he's, you know, he's certainly uh, up there. So it, I guess it depends on what they, I mean. So, so you're still reading Slot's stuff, Dan Slot's um, stuff on Spider-Man? I'm still collecting it. I'm kind of, 
I'm, I'm, that's a little bit of Scott Rife in me. It's like I can't give it up. I'm still collecting my, my Spider-Man. Um, yeah, I stopped being a completist years ago. Uh, it just never was in me like like it is with you. That's not me with everything. It gets too expensive. I mean, some stuff. Well, is- do you, you don't have Amazing Fantasy 15, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I ever will. I mean, that's, you know, my dream is to have all of them in, one, in various stages of another. But uh, I think the earliest one I've got is 22 and I've got a coverless like 16, I think. Yeah. Hey, do you mind if I make a little statement here? No, um, no, no, no. I would like to dedicate this episode to my friend Abbott Lawrence Wright the Fourth. Uh, I knew him when I was younger in high school as Larry Wright, but he's when when I'm when he was older, preferred everybody to call him Lawrence. And uh, he was killed in a car accident uh, about uh, three weeks ago in the Georgian, uh, the former Russian province of Georgia. And uh, he was truly a, a good friend. Uh, a good person and uh just it's heartbreaking that he left at such a young age uh and he left a wife and and two kids behind and uh i'm i'm just i'm heartbroken over the whole thing but uh sorry for your loss yeah thanks i but i just i wanted to dedicate the show to him because yeah that's yeah that's befitting but Apparently in Russia they had built a uh, they they uh, planted a tree and, and created a bench at a particular part for, part for him. That's nice. Uh, over, over the last uh, twenty years, he's been helping business startups develop in Russia, and um, I think he was oh, golly, I'm trying to remember what other country he was in. Uh, I think he was in Latvia. That's right, Latvia. Uh, the last few years, as the he he got out of Russia a little bit because of of all the uh, organized crime that was going on. It was no, hurting. I'm sure, but uh, you know, just uh, like I said, it breaks the heart. And he, if there was, if I was Captain Kirk in my younger days, he was my Spock. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, you know the McCoy, he's still around, but he's in Arizona, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go visit him before something happens. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I just want to take a moment for that. Oh, that's okay. Uh, you got anything? Uh, any final thoughts on uh, two thirty-five? You know, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm glad I picked this one because, well, I, I'm glad and I'm not glad. It makes me just want to read more. It wants me to read more. The get the, get the Frankie Ray story. Go to the Galactus story. You know, and then the trial of Reed Richard. You know, just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, like, I'm I'm on a string right now. I'm reading through Namor. Uh, right now, the the burn run, the on burn me. run, yeah, and I'm I'm you're getting to the point where they're you know they're I I think in the next few issues are going to start looking into the mystery of Danny Rand. Okay, that's a, because that's a I nice... don't remember I don't remember that stuff to remember you know how they brought him back. So you know this is uh it's gonna it's like reading it fresh for the first time. Yeah, that's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Well, how about you? You got anything to say? Uh, no, I uh, enjoyed it. I'm glad we got to uh, to record again. We haven't done this. We need to do this a lot more often. We still got to do a feedback episode. We need to do a feedback. We need to do our commentary we talk about in every episode that we haven't done yet. And um, also get with Scott and Chris and do the uh, Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. That's that's a uh, it's got mentioned when I was. When I was kind of texting him goodbye, I said, "Hey," when I was leaving Orlando, I said, "Hey, I'm on a plane. I'm leaving." He, you know, he thanked me for for coming to visit. He said, "We know we need to uh, need to record something soon." So it's made to reach out to him about. Uh, I know it's hard for him to find the time because he's 
<clears throat> I think he's transitioning into a new job that he's been looking forward to. So it's maybe even harder to. Uh, he starts just, it tomorrow. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was telling us about that. We were up there. So he's uh, he's got to be. Uh, uh, and tomorrow we'll actually find pink. out what it is. I, I, maybe you already know what it is. I, I kind of know what it is. It's uh, it's it's uh, along the line. No, yeah, don't say it yet. <laughs> don't say it yet. Right, I'm jinx it for him. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, I wish him the best um, of luck in that. Yeah, and uh, to all our listeners, I hope that uh, you'll uh, send us some feedback one way or another, whether it's Facebook or email. Uh, Got to get burned at gmail dot com or uh, on Twitter. I mean, we're on Twitter though. We're not really that. Active. I'm not active. On on, I, 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 I will admit I'm active on posting stuff on the burn site, but I haven't been with work. Both of us, work has just been kind of yeah. crazy, and I haven't done anything but go to work, come home, walk the dog, and eat and go to bed. So now I, ha- I have considered, you know, putting up a Patreon page just so I could afford all the uh, John Byrne omnibuses that are coming out because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to afford it on my own. So, uh, you know, it's like. <laughs> Oh man, that would be a nice Christmas gift. But yeah. nah, nah, I'm, they're I'm nicer. Uh, what I get, the last one I got was, I think I got my Alpha Flight, my John Byrne Alpha Flight on the uh, bus, which is nice. See, that's that's after name or that's my next um, run that I want to read through. I want to get into some doing some Alpha Flight because I really, uh, I really enjoyed those those uh, his run well, on those early ones. Pick a pick one, pick a book. Yeah. Yeah, you know that, that it does bring up another interesting thought. You know, I was talking about how the the page, the pages were um, compressed as opposed to how Byrne had been doing them later, where the pages were uh, less boxes and, and more action, mm-hmm. uh, quicker action, and, and I guess a little bit decompressed. But the other thing um, is looking at the art of the. Of, of this issue as opposed to the art 20 issues later. It looks like he changed how he was doing the inking. And I'm wondering if, uh, you know, like the early issues like this one here, he penciled it and inked it as if he was doing two separate jobs. Hmm. But as he did the later issues, he penciled only to prep for inking. Right. Okay. I see what you mean. At one point, he was as if he was turning it over to an anchor, and the other one, knowing he's going to be the anchor himself, he his ink his pencils may not be as refined. Right, yeah. and it it made for much thicker lines later mm-hmm. on down the road. Whereas here, the lines definitely weren't as thick because you barely saw a difference in the art from the cover, which was with Terry Austin inks, versus the interior art. True. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the last thing I got to say on that. Okay, you want to bring us out, take us out? Oh, sure. How do we do it? Sure. Okay. Well, like I said, you know, please send us your feedback, uh, whether it's on Facebook or our email account. And uh, if you want to call us, you'll have to, you know, PM us for our phone numbers because we're not going to give them out here. Uh, <laughs> coming soon, we should have a feedback episode, and maybe we'll get around to recording with those. Uh, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell guys. The two, uh, and, yeah, the two uh, and, head honchos. And as we just said, maybe we'll do some Alpha Flight here really soon. Yeah. But uh, I hope everybody enjoys Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, and any other movie that's coming out. We'd also like to know what you guys think of that. Maybe we'll uh, put something out ourselves. Yeah. So with that being said, for Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. And I am Tim Elliott. Have a great night and a pleasant tomorrow.
Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing if you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the amazon link to shop this doesn't cost any extra but it really helps support the shows until next time this has been third degree burn